begin this morning just with a quote from um, uh, Andrew Murray's uh, book. Um, it's actually someone quoting Andrew Murray's book, but nevertheless, um, with Christ in the school of prayer. Let me read it to you. Here's the quote. It should be on the screen. To say that prayer was a priority in the mind and ministry of Jesus is to state the obvious. There are more verses in the Sermon on the Mount on prayer than any other theme. Notwithstanding this inescapable fact, it comes as something of a surprise to many people to discover that Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, only to pray. He did not speak much of what was needed to preach well, wrote Andrew Murray, but much of praying well. To know how to speak to God is more than knowing how to speak to man. Not power with man, but power with God is the first thing Jesus loves to teach us how to pray. So I hope you hear that this morning, that God wants you to pray. He's inviting you to pray. And um, isn't it interesting that prayer is the most uh, um, spoken about topic in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the series we're in. That's interesting. And so, um, and that we don't have uh, a direct passage that he's training in how to preach. So you should feel the weight I should feel the weight on. Jesus wants you and I to pray. And so at the definition level, um, you know, one way to think is just prayer is just communicating with God. It's communicating, talking to him. You can adore him. You can make requests to him. You can tell him how you feel. You can tell him how things are. We're actually scared. You can actually lament to him in the Bible. You can tell him that you're upset with him. Even his own son, Jesus, prayed that way. He says, my God, my God, feels like you've forsaken me. Then say, my father, you can be very honest with God. It is talking to God. And prayer and in general is a response to God. We're responding. You'll say, well, what are we responding to? Well, most people are like to sort of lazily think that it's about the Spirit, and the Spirit dwells in us, and we listen to the Spirit. That's true. But the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And the primary way that God speaks to his people, he has already spoken to us through his word. So his word is speaking to us. The 66 books of the Bible. And prayer is responding to that. You even saw Kevin this morning. We were taking passages, and it guides us how to pray and what to pray for and what we need in God's heart. So in a sense, prayer is communicating with God, and it's a response to what many things he has said. In the Old Testament, he spoke through the prophets. He, has, he spoke through his word. We have the canon of scriptures, and he has spoken through his sons. We were responding to what he's accomplished through Christ. Okay? But... um. This morning, I can't tell you everything about prayer. It's a daunting topic. We're just going to do what, what Jesus here at this point, what he pauses in the Sermon on the Mount, what he begins to teach. And that he wants you to pray. He's inviting you to pray. But I want to think about that. There, you're going before the one who designed you and knows you better than yourself. Right? It's also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our love. Remember the Sermon on the Mount talking about treasures? treasures your heart is prayer is how god gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us like this car would be nice i don't think that's what he's talking about indeed prayer makes it safe for god to give us many of the things we desire it's the way we know god it's the way we finally treat god as god prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and to be in life we must learn to pray. We have to. It begins very convicted by that. I want to say that before you as a man, just a man, and as a pastor, I'm very convicted by that. Let's pray.
that you see that. We come to a famous verse this morning, ask, seek, knock, one that's quoted, misunderstood oftentimes. Um, we come to this passage, and um, it's a famous verse. And um, I think when you read a verse in the topic of prayer, maybe I don't want to impose on you what I feel, but, uh, but when I hear the topic of prayer, anytime we come to a passage in it where you have to teach on it or whatever, you, you can feel a, a gamut of things, I think. Here's a couple of things you can feel. This is what I feel usually. It's condemnation, right? I always come to mind that in the epistle to pray without ceasing, and I feel, geez, well, you know, if I were to ask you, how's your prayer life? You'd probably all, there'd be your such performance junkies, you'd be like, I'm terrible at it, right? Don't pray enough. And I think probably we don't. We probably don't pray enough. But we feel condemnation, and um, maybe that's how you feel coming to this passage. I hope we can lay that down today. But then it's also probably the spectrum of the way people feel, particularly about this, this passage. Um, one, one end of the spectrum might be this, is that you feel like, and you sort of gravitate towards this idea, this is more the extreme, but really, whether we admit it or not, oftentimes we maybe hear it this way, taught this way, or we conclude this, that prayer in some sense is sort of like a magic. We won't get into all that, but here's the Your prayer does not govern the world. That was the fall, by the way, that they thought they could be like God. So that's one spectrum. And hey, listen, that, 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 that sells. A lot of places, a lot of money been made off of churches and heresies about from that thought that uh, the prayer faith movement, that my prayers are governing God, and you have not because you ask not. You don't get because of this, and it's the prayer governs that. And so... Uh, and so the thinking is, if I badger God enough, if I keep reminding him of things he doesn't know, then I'll eventually, he'll relent and give me what I need. Okay, that's one spectrum. And we can sort of gravitate towards that. But then there's the other side. And um, I've been on all this spectrum, by the way. I mean, everything in between. Then the other side is, um, you hear this verse and you're cynical. You're like, listen, I've asked for things I haven't gotten them all God and hadn't found it. I've knocked and not got any answer. My guess is right now, this room is filled with people who have asked for things that they haven't gotten they wanted from God. I think that's a safe bet. So, we can become cynical about this verse and say, why would he even command it? Why would he even want it? Well, if I can remind you, um, <laughs> this is funny. Kevin, uh, I'm gonna, he's not in here, so I'm going to pick on him. When we said we, we decided we were going to do the Sermon on the Mount, he said, man, I don't want to do the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be a lot of to-dos and just make me feel bad for what I'm not doing. And you know what he said? Really, that's not true. It's a compassionate letter sermon from our father and the heart of the sermon on the mount the unapologetic for thing you you do you should be have boundaries and lust and sex and yet 
promiscuous with your money and giving to the need. I mean, it turns the world upside down. It makes no bones about that. But the Sermon on the Mount is God reminding and saying, here, I want you to flourish in this world. I want you to flourish. And I designed this world, and I'm going to tell you, as followers of me, those who have come into the kingdom of God, and now I'm your king and father, I want you to flourish. That's what he wants. He wants you to flourish. You know, right there, do you believe God wants you to flourish? Amen, he does. It's hard to believe it. I'm going to say it. It's hard to believe that sometimes. But he does. So if we could shift to that, that God wants you to flourish. Now, he's, the other thing is he's very thoughtful. He knows what it's like to be you because he's not a God who's far off. He's actually a God who has come and lived and been human in our shoes. And he knows what you need. And he knows that you need to pray. He knows that we need to pray. So that's why he's telling us. You want to flourish in this world. So God wants you to flourish, and he wants you to flourish in praying. So in order to flourish in God's kingdom, here's our premise, we need, to, we need to pray. Because living on earth is hard. There's always sorrow. There's joys, and there's sorrow all the time. So we need to pray. He wants us to flourish, and we need to pray. Because living on this earth is hard. And even being a Christian in his kingdom, you're still going to get teacher tired. As a follower of Christ, even within his kingdom, and to live out his kingdom ways is very difficult. And then guess what? And you need to pray, and praying is hard. <laughs> Prayer is hard. So it's not easy to do. And I hope we can hear from Jesus this morning you would sense that he's very aware of that circumstance that you and I live in, and he's inviting us to pray. So we'll have three things. Um, we'll first look at the, um, the compassion we see, then we'll see the command, and then the character of God. We'll see the compassion, the command, and the character. I think I need to pray, okay? Let's pray. Father, um, I ask this morning that you would that you would meet us and you would help us to hear the fatherly call of you to pray. I pray you'd woo us and win our hearts to pray more. I pray against condemnation and performance that so seeps into our hearts. I pray against arrogance confusion about what it means to pray and I and I even just just pray that you would just be with us and you would help us from these five or six verses that are here hear from you as we get a glimpse into the greatest sermon ever preached you help us help us to pray and help us to overcome the hurdles that are in our way for that Convict us, encourage us, meet us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, the compassion here, you'll see the first one I want to look at. And there's no compassion. I don't see, there is some compassion in the verse. But really, the compassion I want you to see this morning around the verse is in the context of where he asks us to pray. Okay? And I want you to see that. It's, 
it's a, it's a very thoughtful time for Jesus to, to all of a sudden say, by the way, ask, seek, knock, and I'll answer those things for you. Where it sits in the Sermon on the Mount really is important, and I want you to see the compassion of that. Just prior to this, the topics before this, if you'll remember, two or three weeks ago as we looked at it, was that relating to things of this world and possessions, and we have a different treasure, right? And that's difficult. How do you relate to money, the thing that can get you to all your idols and comforts? That's a difficult topic. Anybody got stressed in the room with money and possessions around that, producing those things? And he talks about our treasure, where your treasure is. Then he says, don't be anxious, right? Anybody feel anxious all the time? Actually, well, Robert did a wonderful job telling us that our anxiousness oftentimes is because we don't get our treasures that we want that aren't God. Do you remember that? He repeated himself up here and said, said that very point, that the reason we're anxious is because we don't get the treasures. We have other treasures other than God, and we, uh, and we want them, but we're mad when we don't get them. By the way, that informs how you ask God what you talk about. Your treasure does. But then from there, uh, last week, judging others. And if you remember, Ke that was the passage came in this, and Kevin was talking about the posture to not look, like even the idea, the posture that we look down upon them, because God's the true judge, remember? And there's that passage at the end, it talks about pigs and dogs, right? Which he didn't get into, which is a whole sermon in and of itself, which is number verse six, coming into our verse, and it said this, Sometimes there's people in the world who don't need to hear the gospel. They're so, it's such a bad news in that point. They need to hear it, but you don't need to talk to them. They're like pigs and swines. Don't throw your pearls as swines. It's a difficult thing. They'll hate you. They're not the right place. There's a time where we will be rejected. Jesus told the disciples to move on. Now listen, those are difficult topics. Anybody walk in on all those perfectly? It seems like an appropriate time for Jesus to pause and say, ask not. Ask and you will find. Ask and you shall be answered. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. He, he's been laying it on, in a sense, talking about some different passages, difficult passages, and he's compassionately pausing. He's sort of reading you, if you will, and reading the room and saying, you need to know this, as I tell you all these difficult things to live in. Do you feel his compassion in that, the timing of where this is in the passage? As a matter of fact, the Lord's Prayer which we could have preached the whole summer. We didn't preach that. That's the only part, if you notice, of the Sermon on the Mount because of just time and where we are, and we've preached on it before. But the Sermon on the Mount, guess what was prior to the Sermon on the Mount when he called them to pray? Prior to the Sermon on the Mount <coughs> was um, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving to the needy. And he talks about praying. I think he, at the same time, he's compassionate. Whew, that's a lot. I need to remind you that you can talk to me. Such a compassionate and thoughtful sermon that we have that he's doing. Um, most of you know this. Many of you may not. Two years ago, my oldest daughter, who's now a junior at Western Kentucky, uh, we found out she had a heart defect. And um, she had to have open heart surgery. Very difficult time in her life. And when you go through the surgery, we were, um, we were assigned uh, by the pediatric department um, uh, heart department at, at UK, a person, sort of a liaison, to sort of walk with us, who's supposed to be with us through the whole process. They do that for when it was a child, and she still was under 18 at that point. So anyway, um, but there was a point, and this happened, no, about, there, was, there was one day where they were walking through, this is what the day of surgery will be like, all right? And so you got to arrive at 4.30, and you got to check in. At this point, Madison will be wheeled back to here. At this point, and they start walking through it. Even when we got to the surgery part, 
Because at this point, it's probably well, they'll be taking a saw to her chest and cutting her open. At this point, she'll move to the machine. At this point, when she gets out, I mean, they're just walking through it. <laughs> and our liaison, she was wonderful. She periodically would pause and say, hey, hey, she could sort of see me glossing over, like, I don't know if I can remember that, or I don't, what'd you say I was supposed to do at that point? You know, that's a lot. Uh, she said, a saw to her chest bone, you know. would pause. Hey, you don't have to. I'll be right here with you. You can ask me anything. That's what Jesus is like. He knows what it's like to be. Can you hear me? Is it coming through the speaker? And then also notice the compassion in the verse. He is better than a nurse, by the way. He's better than a, an assigned, he's better than that. The command to pray is a father saying, here I am for you. You have this thing you need, and I want to provide them for you. So he's, he's pausing, and, he, and notice the language. Seven times he uses the personal word you. I mean, he's in tune with us. He's, remember, he's reclining on a mountain side. He's sitting, and he's asked people to draw near to him. So he's not on a podium, right? We don't have, how are we going to put that in our regular principle of worship? We could, I could be laying down right here and talking, right? That would be within the bounds Scripture, but anyway, it um, he's compassionate, and the thing that we're going to see in his character at the end, but he's inviting you as a father. Notice the passage tells us he's a father, and he's going to use a father illustration to say he's a better father than that. So I hope you sense the compassion. This is a father who's attuned to you, and even in the sermon itself is going to tell you you're going to need something, and I want you to pray, all right? And he does that. So kids want to ask their father something. If you've had a kid and they want to ask their father, they usually adjust to the pattern and their, their request on the nature and the temperament of the father, right? Isn't that true? That when a child knows his father, or maybe my kids know what mood I'm in, they're going to change how they ask or what, right? <laughs> so if the father is um, um, stingy and ill-willed, you know, you'll ask for a little if you go talk to that dad, right? If the father is... Um, uh, moody, then you're going to sort of be uncertain whether or not you should ever ask. But if the father were capricious people, they, they, they had to worry about And themselves, they're like, wait, we can't go into the tabernacle. That's only for the priests. I mean, they, God was Yahweh. We can't even say his name. So he's saying, come to me. This is a father saying, come talk to me. And that... Um, you think God's fearful uh, to be vengeful and to be feared in that way, then you won't come to him. But if he's gracious and kind like this father, compassionate and attuned to you, then you'll come. All right? Let me just pause right there at the end of that particular point. And can I ask you, what, what do you think is the countenance of the father, your heavenly father, if you're a follower of Christ, what do you think the countenance of his face is right now to you? Today, based upon your life and what you're doing and how you're living, if you were just to say, based on how I've been this week, what is the countenance and the posture you think the Father has towards you today? Most of the time, my thoughts are he's a coach wagging his finger or saying, hey, you haven't done quite enough. I mean, 
But can I just say that the countenance of this father to us is like the father in the story of the, of the prodigal son who's coming home. He's looking, he's wanting, he's mindful of you, and he can't wait to meet you. Even in your sin, he will meet you. He wants you to talk to him. That's a great application to daily to say, in this moment, what do I feel like the countenance of the facial expression of my father is right now? Then we look to the command. That's the compassion we see kind of coming into the passage with the command. And it's pretty straightforward. Verses 7 and 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks will be opened. He is telling you to pray. It's a command. Okay? So he's king and he's telling you how to flourish in this world and he gives commands. And he says this. He's like, pray. You need to ask. You need to talk. So that's part of it. The command is to ask, seek, and a knock. And so um, just by working through those words, there's a lot of ink spilled over the meaning of different those words, particularly ask. It's a, it's a broad word in the Greek that has a lot of nuances to it. But uh, ask, seek, and knock. So let me just sort of, the, what I would say overall, this is sort of the command and what they mean, each of them, in some way, just in general way without getting in the deep end of the pool uh, with it. But by the way, ask is the word five times in our passage, okay? So five times the word ask. That's central. It's a word of prayer. It's the idea, it's, it's central to the idea of just kneeling and asking and talking. I mean, that's what that word means. So in a sense, just uh, the context is ask God in prayer. I think most, uh, some of the re- reading I did, most uh, contextually in the world, the Greek would have understood that across religions, that that word was the idea of kneeling to pray, all right? And to come to him. But then the idea of um, not just always kneeling, but talking to God. Then the seek implies that we may not know exactly what we're looking for precisely, how to pray, but a child asks a mother who's close to the hand, but when the mother's not visible, the child seeks her. When we seek God, we will find him and discover what we desire. It's like knowing that I need to go to God, and there's some seeking to that. Uh, some of that, some people um, uh, even imply that this word does mean seeking, um, seek what is lost. So you've lost something, I can't find it, I don't know my way, and you seek it, God. I feel like you're far from me. You seek him. At the same time, it's also an idea of knowing what is um, what demand is due. That there's some promises. Lord, you say you ask, you promise wisdom. I need it. You seek it from him. You see that? So there's an ask, then there's a seeking to it, and then there's a knock. And the knock implies something. We seek something that's inaccessible to us. It's like I'm knocking. I can't get in. I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I need your help. God, I really need your help. I don't know what to do. Some things ask where this is headed. So you can see that in general, keep coming to God, asking, seek him. When the moment's like, what do you conclude when you find yourself in difficult situations? You should go seek him. And there are some things that he has promised and clear, and you need to go to him. And then thirdly, we often find ourselves where we're we're at a place, a doorway we need to go through, and I don't know what's behind it. I don't know how to get forward. God, I'm just knocking and talking to you because I don't know. I just don't know. But I'm here. So and then you'll notice that the command comes with a promise for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks he will be open. He promises I'll answer, I'll open the door, and I'll, you can find me. Now, it's always the question in our minds right there, right? Does that mean everything I ask for, I get? Everything I seek, I find. Everything I knock, I get clarity. No. This is just a general 
principle to come. Um, and in one sense, yes. Because if you're followers of Christ, we do one day get all things answered. One day, but not here. But this is, I mean, just logically when we started, we realized that we, there's lots of things I've asked for that I haven't gotten. I, mean, I think we could all just testify to each other, hey, this, that's not what this passage means. <laughs> and I've been walking close to God at different times. There's times I've been not as good, and, but I've asked, and some things just haven't, haven't gotten what I asked for. All right? Well, I do think that the, something that helps understand the asking and the seeking and the finding is the context that led into this. And it helps us understand a little bit of the asking and the wine, and it's a helpful segue, I think, for the asking, what the verses coming into this were saying. And I just want to remind you of the treasure and the posture. Right? I mean, our asking is at its best, if you will, <laughs> when God is our treasure and he's central. Prayer is primarily not getting God in line with us. It's primarily getting us in line with God. Okay? And it moves us to, it's like, okay, I'm back to a place to trust. But remember the, the, when Jesus said, where your heart is, there it may be all, there where your heart is, where he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sorry, I got tongue-tied with that. And so he's talking about getting your treasure right, meaning that I'm the person and who I am and what, what I'm about and me. That was before this verse. And then the posture of humility, that he's the judge and that you don't judge others. So, in a sense, coming into this passage of asking is the idea of where's your treasure, God, and what posture do you have of humility? You remember the very first verse of the Sermon on the Mount besides the part where it says, what was the first beatitude? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Prayer really flows out of what poor in spirit means is like, you're God, I'm not, and I'm without hope apart from you. So in some way, that segues us and helps us to pray. So when you have wrong treasure, you pray wrong. Does that make sense? When you have a, uh, when you have a wrong posture, you pray wrong, right? You, you don't pray, you don't ask for the right things. Now, um, this is a difficult thing, but I want to, sometimes we're supposed to say difficult things in Christianity. The promise is he will hear and answer and open the door. But I do want to say that that's not for the whole world. This answering of our questions and meeting us in our prayers is really for the Christians, the followers of Christ. Those who have made the entryway into the kingdom. So if you're a non-believer and you ask, the, the question is, does God hear the prayers of a non-believer? Well, in one sense, yes, because he's sovereign. He hears everything. But in one sense, he doesn't. I mean, think about that. That's, that's anti-Christianity, by the way. I can somehow function over here, out from under. God is king, not live for him. But when I need him, I'll just call on him and ask him for some things, and I'll come back. follow Christ means to leave everything. You have to become poor in spirit in order to move into the kingdom and the family of God. 
the person, and which is many of the prayers, I mean, when I meet and talk with lost people, and they're saying, I ask God for this, and I ask God for that, it was like, you were asking him for things you didn't have the right to ask for. What you need to ask for and beg for first and foremost is his grace and mercy. I pray that you could move to a place where those are the conversations, but that doesn't just happen on your terms. There is a way we come into the kingdom of God, and it's by grace through his son, Christ. And we must submit to his kingship and his fatherhood. This promise this morning is not for unbelievers. This is for followers of Christ. And we struggle with it too. It's hard for us to work it out. So if you're investigating Christianity, what I would want you to do, there's a prayer you need to cry out before you ever ask for anything, and that is for, for God to have mercy and save you. So moving on from that, one of the things, a good way to think about this passage is the command itself the command itself does sort of reveal what we struggle with. Like the fact he's in the middle of this is having to tell us to ask, seek, and knock. The point is he knows that we struggle to ask, seek, and, seek, and knock. Do you understand that? What do you learn about us? And what do you learn about God in this passage? One of the things we learn about us is that we struggle to ask. We struggle to seek him. As his people, we struggle to do that. And that's why he's asking this question. Let me just quickly just say, why is it hard for you to pray? And why is it hard for me to come to him and ask? Why is it? Why is it hard? There's a lot of reasons. I'll Rolodex a couple here for you. You think about those today. But listen, one, I don't know who to give credit to. I'm going to quote it. May God give him credit. I don't know who this is from. Um, I didn't write it down. One, th one commentator says this, We do not live in a praying age, but in an age of hustle and bustle, of man's efforts and man's determination, of man's confidence in himself and his own power to achieve things, in an age of organization, of human machinery and human push and human scheming and human achievement, which in the economy of God means no achievement at all. That's part of the reason we don't pray. We don't think we need him. We're pretty self-sufficient. Prayer is a posture of humility, of poor in spirit. It means I'm not God, you are. And oh, I need thee every hour. There's a reason Bebo was singing those songs for us. I need you. Why do we not pray? It's hard to receive the results, right? It just doesn't seem productive. And that's difficult for Western, Westerners, particularly Americans. Where do you see the, I can't measure it. Prayer doesn't seem productive. God's unseen. That makes it difficult. We're talking, I can't say I just have the Bible. I mean, it, there's all kinds of reasons if we don't pray. It's difficult. Sometimes we're arrogant. This is me. If I think I'm doing pretty well and, hey, I've had two good sermons. I don't need to pray before a sermon. I'm, I'll, I'll gravitate. We, it's pretty arrogant. We think we're doing well on our own. That's one of the reasons we don't pray. Some of us don't pray because we haven't prayed in a long time. We think we have to do good and earn our way back. We don't think that this God and Father is asking us to come to him and talk to us. He can't wait to talk to you. This work. And sometimes we play the theological card and say, well, he's sovereign. He's going to do what he wants to. Why does I need to pray anyway? He's in control. I'm not. Doesn't matter if I pray. Whew, I'd love to talk to you on that one for a long time. Let me give you one thing. The sovereign God of the world has ordained prayer to be one of the means and way he runs his world. Prayer is the means that he uses to rule and to govern one of the ways he uses to govern his world. So flip the sovereignty thing on its head. It's actually what he sovereignly is doing. So 
If anybody has been moved to pray and pray for the community like we are, you want to know why? Because the sovereign God of the world moved us to pray. But he's also our father. He loves for us to pray. He loves for us to ask. He loves for us to come near to him. Um, and then probably the last one that our prayerlessness is due to the, we lose sight of the goodness and his willingness to be with us and answer. So, um, so I'm going to give the application here for the sermon for the, before the last part. Here's my application for you. Just move the needle in your life and just start, wherever you are, just move the needle and start asking and seeking. Just go to God and talk to him. And just try to do it a little more. And wherever you are, try to do a little more. Go more. And then ask him to help you to do it. That's part of it. But then you probably ask the question, how do I know what to ask for? <laughs> how do I ask? You just talked about having the right posture in the kingdom of God. And so, golly, I got to know how to talk to him. Well, there's some learning curve to it. But in one sense, it is true that you can ask God for anything. He wants to process with you. Like, I grew up with this, what they call deism view, that God didn't care about me playing football, and I couldn't talk to him about that. He only cared about evangelism and people's souls. He cares about what you're going through. He really does. He was out among that. So, yes, you can talk to him about anything. But beyond that, the relationship ought to mature, and you, you ought to move into a place where you're also talking about the things that are a little bit more weighty and a little bit more on, in a sense, the kingdom of God. About Think about this list here in the Sermon on the Mount. Have you been praying to God about what it means to be salt and light in this world or what it means to give to the needy? Or, Lord, help me to battle this lust. Or, God, I don't know. Help me to manage my money. God, your heart is for this, for the people. I mean, it does move to an idea of, of more than just the basics of life. But he cares about both. But growing ought to move towards that. Listen, if Brittany and I in our marriage only talked about the details and the basic needs of our life every day, would you say that's a healthy marriage? No. Answer's no. We have to talk about things that are heart and deeper and more important and the kingdom of God. We do. We talk about more in-depth things about our life and what's going on. Now, listen, if you also only talked about that and didn't talk about the details, that wouldn't be too great either. <laughs> but so it is with God. Moving with him is that we need to move to where we're, we're growing in that as talking about the serious things and wrestling with it. And so, this sort of kicks you into that. Ask for anything. must be sprinkled with the kingdom living. And then sometimes, I do realize this, even when we start talking about even, even when we start talking to God about the things of his kingdom and the, our talks get more mature, even then we wind up with your daughter's heart being cut open. Right? You still wind up at places where you're like, man, 
we're pretty close, God, and I'm still here. And so, that's the rest of this passage. His character is what we have when we get to that place of action. He uses an argument from the lesser to the greater. And he says, a human being. And notice he says, I'm not like them. He doesn't say we at this point. He says he takes a, a regular old father who's a sinner. Any father's a sinner. But even sinners sometimes get it right is what the passage is telling us. And sometimes they give good gifts to their kids. And he says, how much more am I greater than those fathers? I'm the perfect father. How much greater am I than them? What do you learn about God in this passage? Listen, everybody gets caught up, I think, in this passage this week, looking at it. I think everybody gets caught up on the command side. I think it's mostly about not what you ask. It's mostly a passage who's reminding you a whole lot about what God's like. I'm a God who delivers. I'm a God who knows what's going on in your life. I'm a God who's attuned to you. I'm a God who answers prayers. I'm a God who is fatherly and my posture towards you is great. I'm going to give you good things. This passage is telling you mostly what God is like. Not about your prayer, but mostly the one who's asking you to come to him. That's what he's telling you about. And by the way, the one doing the telling is the son of the father. And the father sends that son to you and to me so that we can come. Actually, that father in his time of need, I'm sorry, that son in his time of need went to his father and he asked for help and he got the answer, no. He turned his head from him. He at that moment was the greatest sinner in all of earth in history. Jesus was. When our sin was laid on him, the father said no to him, turned from him, left him, abandoned him. He said no to him. Why? So that you and I today, he can say yes to us and heal us. So we get to places where I don't know. I don't know what to say. It just gets bad sometimes. And listen, don't, don't arrogantly conclude that you're saying, hey, I'm only going to serve God if everything goes great for me. Well, show me any human being that's had everything go great for them. What an arrogant posture. That's, <laughs> that just doesn't happen. This world is full of sorrows, and I'm only going to worship God. And, and for us to conclude, how do we conclude and get lost in our prayers and think we're the only ones ever happened to? I've wrestled with that. I have weeped that 10,000 reasons with my mom's favorite song. But in a sense, God so cares. But I'm not the only person who's ever lost his mom. For me to conclude he doesn't know me and love my prayers and hear me because she died. I mean, what? It's so much bigger than that. And it's bigger where? How do we know that? We look to the cross. Where he was not heard so that we can be heard. So go talk to him. That's what he's inviting you and I to do. Talk to him. Ask him. Seek him. And yes, you'll get to places where the only thing you have is the character of God and what we know he did on the cross. And that will be enough for us. Father, 
Would you help us to um, would you help us to pray? Would you help us to believe that your Father asking us to come to you today? And I'm so thankful that you're so compassionate and thoughtful and that you woo us and you want us to pray. And yet you also, God, you are so, so kind and good. Would we, Lord, we know as a church that what happens outside of the church and outside of Christianity also happens inside. We have death, we have cancer, we have pain, we have betrayal, we have all those things. The only difference between us and the rest of the world is we have you. Would you help us to believe that? Would that grow and be insufficient for us? And, and Father, when these, in these momentary afflictions and lives where you do answer prayers, God, I could have preached a whole sermon on the prayers you've answered for us and done, and, and we find ourselves. And we talk about all the prayers he has answered. Many of us would all testify to prayers you have answered. But glory be to you that there's a greater story going on, and that we're a part of it. Would you help us to believe that? Would you grant us, in our weakness, would you grant us favor? In your son's name we pray. Amen.